welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Cole Bjorn Bertram, and I'm going to be recording this episode alone uh, here today. Uh, it is a little bit of a transfer deadline day special here from 3304 Sports. Uh, as I am recording this on February 1st, uh, the clock has, of course, already struck. Uh, the transfer window is shut, and the, you know if teams want to make moves, they're going to now have to wait until the summer, or possibly if... Uh, Players' contracts are expiring. They can negotiate with them uh, now for those uh, free moves after they, their contracts expire with their current club. So without further ado um, to all you lovely listeners, I do want to break down how I'm going to be going about this episode as it is going to be a very football-based episode. We're going to talk about a lot of the moves that became official yesterday. There were a lot of moves um, of course, it's transfer deadline day. Um, and then we're going to go through a couple of Guardian articles here. So we're going to be seeing what the Guardian and Fabrizio Romano called uh, some of the most notable transfers to the transfer window. Um, and then we're going to be going over a little bit of Premier League business as a whole. Um, and actually, instead of going over Premier League business as a whole, I'm just going to go ahead and from the Guardian article, um, tell you guys my top five uh, Premier League transfer windows for uh, uh, of the you know the 20 teams and then after that we're going to go ahead into the premier league mid-season predictions last expectation um just kind of like how i believe that the league's going to finish and we'll look a little bit back at what i said over the summer um was how w- with how the league was going to look and see how it's my uh, predictions are currently looking so without further ado i do want to start off t- uh this um episode with what i think is the most wholesome news and it's Christian Eriksen back in football. He's been out of football for a while, ever since he collapsed on the pitch uh, uh, during the uh, Euro 2020. Um, he has been out. He hasn't been playing. We haven't seen him for a while. But uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, his Brentford links. Uh, Brentford uh, just didn't really uh, – they kind of denied it in a sense. Um, but then as, last week, uh, as of last week, it started to sound more and more like he was going to come in. And then, of course, he is now in full-time as a Brentford player, and I feel amazing for him. I wish him nothing but the best. He's an incredible player. He's one of my favorite players that I've actually watched in the Premier League. He's so creative. Like, what he does on the pitch is exactly, like, what I've tried to emulate, I feel, (laughs) what I've played. So, incredible mind, incredible passer. And honestly, I think he's a perfect addition to that Brentford midfield. Uh, I think him, Kanos, and Mbwemo can really be a good uh, attacking three uh, if they're going to run an attacking three behind Tony. Um, I think it could be really nice. Or if, uh, I mean, I don't actually fully remember their uh, the formation they run, full disclosure. I don't watch you know, many Brentford games. Um, but, you know, either way, I think that four-man um, attack of Erickson, Tony, Mbwemo, and Kanos can do a lot of damage. Um, and it's going to be very exciting to see what Brentford can do with this, whether they're going to be able to push up higher on the table uh, or maybe something just to save for next season. Maybe Erickson has to get back into the swing of things and then he'll start dominating in the Premier again. Um, but following that, we're going to go ahead and here and stick in the Premier League before we go into uh, the broad world of football. And we're going to go ahead here and transfer to another uh, squad that really only had one move occur, and that's going to be Burnley replacing Chris Wood with an incredible talent, Valt Vegerst, uh, from VFL Wolfsburg. Um, a very good signing by them, but my only concern is that they didn't do much business, and they're the 
literal worst team in the Premier League right now. If you even go and look at like their last five games in the Premier League, they have three losses and two draws. They're two points behind Watford 19th. Um, they just haven't had a good season. And I feel like if Burnley is wanting to stay up, I feel like you'd want to have a better move. Now, granted, Burnley does have a two-game advantage against Watford um, and a three-game advantage against Newcastle, who's three points ahead of them. But I don't know if Valt Vegas replacing Chris Wood, you know, kind of a like-for-like replacement, is really going to be the difference maker for this Burnley side to be able to eke out um, and stay in the Prem. So it, it makes me a little bit nervous. I feel like this team squad, uh, this squad could have done more or this, uh, the management if they wanted to stay in. Now, Valt Vegas is an incredible player. Uh, if you guys don't know, he is the second highest goal scorer in the Bundesliga uh, over like the past few years, it's only behind Robert Lewandowski, of course, uh, the best striker in the world. Um, so that's really no small feat. And, you know, he is very talented. I just don't know exactly who's going to be feeding him the ball at Burnley, particularly when they've been doing so poorly to begin with. So I like the move, um, but it really now kind of just feels like he's going to dominate in the championship next year rather than dominate in the Prem because Burnley didn't really provide much back. Uh, following that, though, we're actually going to talk about some uh, teams that actually made a couple moves, and we're going to start off with Everton, uh, who not only moved and got Frank Lampard to be their new manager officially yesterday, but on top of that, went ahead and got Deli Ali and loaned in Donny van de Beek for uh, the rest of the season. Deli Ali on a permanent transfer is an incredible move. Um, we remember three years ago when he was like worth like hundreds of millions um, and he was like the young starlet for England. And then he just kind of slowly got not really phased out of the Tottenham team, I feel, but just he he got phased out of the starting 11. He had less minutes. Um, I'll fully uh, like have the details as to why Tottenham fans would obviously be able to tell better. Um, but Deli Ali just kind of lost his playing time. And I think, uh, over the past year or so, he's been uh, wanting to get like more playing time, move to a different club that could supply that for him. And Everton's a really good club to do it. Um, this is a team that if you've grown up watching the Prem through these 2000s, they're not only one of the, like, you know, one of the notable teams that's just kind of stayed in the Prem, but they're generally speaking a mid-table side. So hopefully Deli Ali's creativity in that midfield um, and confidence at with striking that ball can really uh, help Everton start pushing up the table as hopefully Calvert-Lewin can stay healthy for the rest of the season and Charleston and uh, the team can be on full health. Uh, Donny van de Beek, though, is also going to be an incredible uh, person probably coming off their bench because I, I don't know exactly how he'd fit into this team otherwise. Like, I feel like Deli Alley and Donny van de Beek would be a little bit too offense, uh, offensively minded together I mean I could see a balance there working and I would like it if they tried but I, I feel like they're probably gonna lean more towards like uh Ducure starting if uh, if he's healthy because the scene is really getting banged up um and then you'll have Donny van de Beek coming in for Deli Alley or starting some games over Deli Alley uh maybe they'll even change their formation um and have like uh, like a diamond and have Andre Gray go into the center attacking mid, which would feel weird, but I mean, Hey, whatever you need to do to win. Right. Um, Von de Beek is someone who needed more time at United for some odd reason. We just haven't given it to him. Um, in fact, Everton actually tried to get a buy option for Donny Van de Beek. They like him as much as our board does because our board flat out refused. They said they kind of laughed it off and they're like, yeah, no, you're not going to get a buy option on Donny Van de Beek. 
So hopefully this is going to reinstate the confidence in whatever manager takes over United to be able to give Donny van de Beek minutes. Um, and hopefully it'll reinstate the confidence uh, that Donny van de Beek should have in himself because he's an incredible player. Uh, another side to land a couple players yesterday in the Premier League is going to be Tottenham landing Kuduszewski and Rodrigo Bentecourt from Juventus. Uh, obviously, their new uh, GM Paratici, um brought at least I, I, he brought in Kuduszewski. I believe he also brought in Bentecourt. Um, but Paratici is a big fan of Kuduszewski's. Um, the young Swede has been pretty solid out on the wing uh, when he was given minutes, particularly. Um, when Paratici was there. Um, and I think that he could be a really good uh, uh, player to be coming off the bench here for Tottenham. So I think that that's a solid move. This is currently a loan move for 18 months. So, uh, and with the value that it comes at too, I think they only have a 10 million fee they have to pay Juventus for the 18 months. Really good value for someone that is as talented as he is. And then Rodrigo Bentecourt, um, he's someone that was incredible for Juventus for a long time. And then he just kind of got worse and worse. But Honestly, it's mostly because they don't. He's kind of a system set type of guy. He hasn't been able to get, um, from what I've heard, as offensive as he uh, has when he was very successful with the club. Um, and I, from what I've seen, if he if he can kind of fit into that Conte system as a little bit more of the offensively minded midfielder, not necessarily a center attacking mid, but the center mid that really pushes forward a little bit more. I think if uh, he can find that role with Conte, I think he might be able to find his form again. I think Bentecourt is like a perfect center. Not, I won't say perfect yet because he has struggled a little bit, but I, I think in theory, he is a very much uh, strong fit into an Antonio Conte 3-5-2 system. So I think Tottenham fans have a lot to be excited for, for the two. Uh, they're, really, they're only two signings to the window, but hey, two pretty good signings at that. Um, following that, there's only one more team in the Prem that I have that made a deal yesterday, and it's going to be Arsenal. Not really for what you would have expected. Now, Matt Turner, I believe, is still fully official. I don't think Fabrizio had anything else to add to it. Um, it wasn't listed in the Guardian article, but there's really nothing that says against, you know, maybe uh, Turner's going to be out there um, after the U.S. finish up. Uh, I think they have one more qualifier game this week but is going to be another American, Austin Trusty. I actually had to look him up here, but he is a 23-year-old young center back for the Colorado Rapids. Uh, and he's been getting more and more matches, particularly in 2021. He had a large slate of MLS matches in 34. Um, I was trying to see if he had like some time with the U.S. And I mean, uh, he has that U.S. jersey on, but all I, I, I kind of see here is that... Um, he made like U20 and U17 appearances with the national team. Um, looks like he had a match against Bosnia Herzegovina, uh, where the US won. And that's the last match that actually it doesn't even say that he had played any minutes in that match. But uh, gosh, yeah, it doesn't even say that he played any minutes for the US. Um, and after leaving Philadelphia Union, he joined Colorado on a free a couple of winters ago, and now he's moving to Arsenal. Um, they just needed center back def desperately, to be honest. Um, and from what is also said here in the Denver Post is that this could possibly um, speak volumes to a potential, uh, it says volumes for a potential of a KSE Rapids partnership. 
um, which I think actually has been talked about in the past, like Arsenal funding uh, the Rapids or whatnot, or like the, the people that fund Arsenal, etc. So it's a deal that kind of makes sense. Uh, I think it's almost like what the Stefan, no, it's not what the Stefan thing was because he didn't play for NYCFC, but I digress. Um, I guess <laughs> that's how I feel about the transfer. Like there's really nothing crazy about it. Um, it's not like it's good or bad. He's just kind of depth. I guess we'll see how he works out. Maybe he fits in for, um, uh, I'm forgetting managing the Arteta system, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not a big fan of it. It's it's not like it's anything insane, and we'll be talking more about Arsenal later. Um, but to go into some of the last deals here that went abroad, uh, first of all, Aaron Ramsey made his move back over to uh the Great British area and is now in Scotland playing with the uh, Rangers. A pretty good move for Aaron Ramsey. He's on a loan, I believe it was with an obligation to buy. Um, but I don't have the tweet pulled up here from Fabrizio Romano. Again, you can find a lot of this stuff from Fabrizio. He is incredible at what he does. Um, and the reason that Juventus was willing to let Ramsey go is because they've, uh, in Benteker, is because they brought in Dennis Zakaria from Juventus uh, for, I believe, a six or five million fee. Uh, you know, it was rumored that he's going to be leaving this winter um, before his contract expired in the summer. And he has Juventus getting an absolute bargain, an incredible young player, really a leader in that Swiss midfield, as I've talked about in the past. And I feel like he's kind of a perfect CDM fit here for this team. Uh, could be really nice for helping Weston McKennie start to move forward and uh, link up play. He's an incredible passer um, for like percentage completion as well and passing out of the back. So it could be nice for that Juventus team. Like they, they can probably create some flow in the midfield now. And with a confident striker like Dusan Vlahovic, maybe this Juventus team can find a little bit of a spark that they've been missing. Um, on top of that, we actually have a little bit of uh, Barcelona news on multiple sides here. So first of all, the Usman and Dembele move out of the club has broken down. It didn't happen. Um, and he's now going to be waiting for... He's not going to be waiting for the summer his contract to expire to find a new uh, side maybe he's still going to ho hold out hope that Barcelona is willing to renegotiate his contract but Laporta keeps going into the media and he's like I don't know why he stayed it doesn't make sense for both of our cir uh, circumstances etc cetera, etc cetera. it just seems like this is a tarnished relationship and at this point uh, it is disappointing that Dembele wasn't able to get out of Barcelona because it feels like he needs to be trying to get minutes now uh, so yeah, that was an odd situation, but then another odd situation, um, but this has been going on for a while, the relationship between Aubameyang and Arsenal finally ended today as they terminated his contract, but before his contract was officially terminated, he was technically speaking loaned out to Barcelona, now I guess they just have like his contract or something, I don't know exactly what the deal is, since Arsenal terminated his contract, but now he's with Barcelona, um, so I think that is a very solid signing for Barcelona. Um, it's going to give them some offensive creativity that they need. Um, I think Aubameyang could shine out La Liga, but he also hasn't been playing for a while. So maybe he has to knock off some of that uh, pitch rust. But, I mean, it's a move that has a lot of potential, and it will be very interesting to see what this goes for um, the Barcelona side. So with that, that's really all the big, big moves that happened uh, over the 
transfer deadline day. The only other thing that I can mention is that uh, Liverpool tried to get the young 19-year-old Fabio Carvalho. Uh, it might be Carvalho, but I think it's Carvalho. Um, no, I think it's Carvalho because he, he grew up Portuguese. Um, but I digress. Uh, they weren't able to get him off of Fulham. Uh, I guess the paperwork just weren't, weren't able to get through, but he's been having a pretty solid uh, season out for the side uh, in the championship. 18 games, seven goals, four assists. Uh, you know, I, I think they're going to revisit this deal again when it comes to the summer, I, because I think Fulham and Liverpool basically had a deal negotiated. It's just they didn't get it negotiated in enough time. So expect that Liverpool fans to be happening over the summer. Now, we have the Guardian and Fabrizio Romano transfers. Um, the Guardian just lists this as uh, 10 standout deals. Fabrizio actually ranks his. So we're going to talk about these standout deals and we'll be pretty quick with it because these are a lot of deals that we've talked about um, on the podcast here. And we'll, you know, it'll basically be like, oh, I agree. And, you know, talking, just kind of recapping uh, prior thoughts. Yeah. So let's go ahead and start off with the uh, number one name that they listed. Definitely one of the favorite names from this window moving Dusan Vlahovic uh, from Fiorentina to Juventus. Um, he has been on fire in Serie A. Uh, Juventus needs something on offense and really throughout their team to light a spark in them to start pushing uh, back into Serie A relevancy. And uh, this will certainly help. Uh, Vlahovic is an incredible young player. And uh, I, I think that the Serbian can really give this team the boost uh, that they will need to get back into uh, Italian glory. Not necessarily that they'll be able to do it this season, but you know, I, I think he'll get them there uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, moving on, they also have Ferran Torres, one of the early moves that we talked about from City to Barcelona. Again, uh, an incredible move. Uh, the Spaniard was solid for City. He was incredible during Euro 2020. Um, he's kind of one of my favorite players. And I think that going back to Spain, particularly to Barcelona, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those like marquee signings. It's one of the signings where it just feels like it really makes sense. There's some, like, there's been a few Barcelona signings over the years, uh, like past few years, that's like, huh? Why would you do that? Like when, I, I believe they signed Griezmann when they still had um, Luis Suarez, that kind of was dumbfounding because then they had to kick him out to the wing. Um, I remember they signed a young winger. I'm forgetting who it is now, like what his name is, but I remember they signed some young winger from France uh, just to like Malcolm. It was Malcolm. They signed him off the draw because they just didn't want like Roma to get him or something. And I was like, what, why? And then it was just a waste of money. And, you know, there's numerous other transfers that become waste of money. I don't think this is a waste of money for Barcelona. Very solid move. Uh, next up, you have Bruno Huimarez. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Bruno Huimarez uh, moving from Lyon to Newcastle. Um, this is a very solid de uh, deal here. And as Guardian actually even notes, um, he is one of three players to average at least 1.5 tackles, dribbles, key passes, and fouls one in Europe's top five leagues this season. And he's a very good all-around midfielder. I mean, you can't really say it much better than that. It's great analysis there from the Guardian. Uh, he is going to be very solid, and it feels like he'll be a perfect midfielder to really connect play here for Newcastle. Uh, really one of two of the offensive, quote-unquote, offensive pieces they got, because Guimaraes isn't really offense. He's midfield, but he's more creative than, like, the three defenders that they got, if you know what I mean. Uh, they also list Luis Diaz from Porto to Liverpool which 
yes, uh, I think we talked about this just last week. This is an incredible move. He's one of the best young talents in uh, Portugal, and I think he's going to come and make an incredible impact for Liverpool off the bench. Valt uh, Vegerst uh, from Wolfsburg to Burnley. We've already talked about this. There's really not much more to say, but just uh, like um, to really highlight it, because uh, I did actually get this from The Guardian. What they specifically say is since he moved to Germany before the 2018-2019 season, only Robert Lewandowski has scored more goals than Vegerst, uh, which is actually ironically double what Vegerst has scored. Lewandowski scored 120, Vegerst has scored 59. Um, but that's really, you know, still no small feat. Vegerst has done a solid job since uh, moving to Wolfsburg, and now uh, the turf more faithful are going to really hope that he can turn out there. Uh, Benteker, already talked about it. Again, I got that little, like, I know through Conte's 3-5-2, but the Guardian talked about it as well. Um, so it's a solid move. Julian Alvarez, the young uh, Argentinian striker, um, from River Plate to Manchester City is a solid move. We've talked about this. Um, then you have Ricardo Pepe, who moved from FC Dallas to Augsburg. Another really solid move, particularly for a side that has been struggling in the Bundesliga this year. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, one move that we actually really haven't talked about, though, is Arthur Cabral from Basel to Fiorentina. Um, the young man's been very impressive in the Swiss league, um, scoring 14 times in 18 outings for Basel. And he feels like a pretty solid replacement for Fiorentina for Vlahovic. And to buy him for, um, I want to look, but it's like 50 million less than Vlahovic. He is a couple of years older, but still a 20 young, you know, young man, age 23, uh, who's been on fire in the Swiss league. That's not saying it's going to fully translate to Serie A, but with the form that he's in, it's just going to be a really, really nice addition, and hopefully Cabral can be able to continue the success that Vlahovic had in Fiorentina, at least to some end. And then the last deal they list is Denis Sicaria from Wuchengvald back to Juventus, and we did just talk about that recently. So with that out of the way, we need to get into Fabrizio Romano's top five deals of the window. And I'll talk about how I'm feeling about him. So at five, uh, we'll, we'll just say five to one here. He has Robin Goshens from Inter Milan with a loan on an obligation to buy uh, from Atalanta. You have Donny van de Beek on loan from Manchester United to Everton. You have Bruno Huimarez to Newcastle United at three. Dusan Vlahovic at two. And then the number one move is Luis Diaz. And I love the Luis Diaz move, but to me personally, I think that's a little bit bold to say that he is the top, top move right now because I don't know if he's going to immediately start for Liverpool. Um, I could be wrong. I just don't think that is that is going to be the case. Uh, sure, they're able to get him for almost half the price of Dusan Vlahovic, um, but he is a few years older than Vlahovic. And on top of that, um, when, since he traditionally plays winger at Porto, it's most likely that he's not going to be starting for this team uh, you know, as they have Sadio Mane and uh, Robert Salah, um, or why is it Robert? Mohamed Salah. Um, so actually, I know why I said that NFL, but I digress. Um, I think if, if they want to move Mane next summer and like bring in some new young blood to this team, I guess this can make sense. But um, it, it's not that it's a bad move. I love the move. And I think him and Jota off the bench is lethal. Um, but I wouldn't really say this is my number one move. I'd probably put him below Huimarez and Vlahovic. Vlahovic, to me, is definitely the best move of this window. 
Um, and then Van de Beek is definitely not in my top five. I love him as a player, but if anything, I would rather put Deli Alley up there over him because he is a permanent deal to Everton. And I think that it could be one of their better midfield signings for the past half decade. Um, and then to me personally, I think you might have, I don't, I don't think you'd throw new, another Newcastle signing in there. I think Goshen's is good enough, uh, particularly with that loan obligation to buy. He's been uh, one of the, he was one of the better players of the German national team at Euro 2020 in that like left mid left wing back role. So just, just, just to be able to get that upgrade there for Inter Milan, I think is going to be very nice. So, you know what, other than I think Delhi Ali getting onto this list, probably at five, maybe four. Um, and then Luis Diaz getting knocked down a couple spots. I'm not mad at it. I think it's a solid list there from Fabrizio. Um, so yeah, some pretty good news here um, for, you know, all the teams that made those moves. But with that being said, that is our first two topics out of the way. And I'm going to go ahead here. Um, and I, I could go over all the Prem transfer business, but I feel like that'd be rattling off again, kind of like with that other Guardian article, a little bit too much of what I've talked about this window um, and just kind of reiterating points. So I just want to get into my top five Premier League team, uh, Premier League teams for this winter window, winter window, like top five teams for making moves. Um, and I feel like there shouldn't be much controversy with this because I think this is a very solid list, but obviously I'm the one who made it. So it's going to be a little bit biased for me. So at number five, I have Liverpool and it's mostly because Liverpool really didn't do much this window. All they did was they, they had some good loans. They're letting Nathan Phillips and Neko Williams get uh, loan minutes out with Bournemouth and Fulham respectively, in which if they are able to start, that is huge for Liverpool Two young players uh, who can help contribute with minutes to the future, whether starting or not. And then they also brought in Luis Diaz. And we've talked about it. Luis Diaz is an incredible young player and I think could eventually become an incredible starter for this team. Um, particularly being able to steal him off Tottenham makes this deal even better. But missing out on Fabio Carvalho is not a great uh, thing. And then on top of that, as I said, if Diaz isn't going to start, I just don't think it's huge, like, huge enough for me to boost this team any higher than the fifth spot. But with having one of the best moves to the window, I mean, you can't really hold them out. So Liverpool gets into my top five. Um, and now, interestingly enough, and you guys will find out why soon, but we don't have a fourth spot. And it's because I think there's enough space between the teams above because there is a tie for second. Um, but I think there's enough space between the other four teams that I have on my list uh, in transfer quality this window that Arsenal is kind of like that clear number five. Like they, they made the list, but they, you know, they aren't as good as these others, in my opinion. So we're going to go with our number three team. Um, and I know some friends uh, that are going to be a little bit happy about my take here. It's going to be Tottenham ahead of them. Um, now, Tottenham had a lot of their moves really get completed at the last day. Obviously, the Deli Alley sale, uh, Giovanni Lo Celso being loaned out to Villarreal, Brian Gil being loaned out to Valencia, Tengui and Dombre getting loaned out to Lyon, um, as well as Ranjiko Bentecourt coming into the club on a permanent, and Dejan Kulusevsky coming into the club on a loan. Um, so they did get rid of a lot of players, and we'll talk about the positives for that. Um, after we talk about the positives for the players coming in, 
Um, just keeping it short, I feel like it can really, uh, these two young players can really fit uh, Conte's system. Uh, Bentecourt has kind of shown it at Juventus, and Dejan uh, Kuliszewski has also been successful out on the wing. Uh, at the very least, Kuliszewski is going to be some good depth for this team to be able to use for uh, you know, a season and a half now. And Bentecourt, I think, could become a midfield uh, staple for years to come, but it's, you know, it's more of like a, it's a possibility. It's not a guarantee, but it's still very exciting nonetheless to me. Now for these loans, I am in love with all these loans. And here's why the young Brian Jill, who was a very solid signing over the summer is now going to probably be able to get some starting minutes over at Valencia, which is really nice. Uh, he's a really good talent. So it's going to be good to start prepping him for possibly getting some more minutes next year. Uh, Giovanni Lo Celso is someone who probably need to be sold by Tottenham about a year ago or so. He's just kind of lost his place uh, in the lineup, um, and he's an incredible young talent. Uh, I think uh, getting over to one of the top sides in Spain in Villarreal is a solid move for him, um, and I think that his capabilities there are going to be highly utilized. Um, and then Tangui and Dombele going back to his home, not only in France, but also to his club that he was at before Tottenham in Lyon is great for him. Uh, hopefully he's going to be able to kind of find himself again at Lyon before Tottenham probably tries to sell him in the summer. And then on top of that, Deli Alli is someone that really wasn't getting great minutes for uh, Tottenham over the past couple of years anyways. He lost a lot of value. It was kind of time to move him on, the relationship uh, between him and Tottenham kind of ended not that it was a bad end it wasn't like you know like a bad breakup it was just kind of a mutual thing kind of like what should have happened with Jesse Lingard and Manchester United where it's kind of like hey I'm not getting minutes for you guys anymore I, I want to go and get minutes somewhere else can you transfer me and Tottenham didn't do it when they probably should have done it a year ago but at least they do it now so they made some incredible transfers out of the club to kind of trim up some of the quote-unquote deadwood is not necessarily Deadwood. A lot of these players are getting minutes that they need, um, particularly within Dombaday and Lachelso, raising their value to probably be transferred over this summer or possibly in the next winter. All depends on uh, when teams are really wanting to get them. Um, and they bring in two players that I think are going to be uh, making a pretty decent uh, impact for uh, the team immediately. So Tottenham at third makes sense to me. And we have a tie for second. We have a tie for second, and we're going to talk about both sides, and we'll go ahead and talk about the uh, talk about them in alphabetical order. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start off with the first side. Um, what both of these teams actually having relatively new managers, uh, one of them being like a day old, um, while as the other one has been managing for a little bit over a month now for them, and it's going to be the first team is Aston Villa. Aston Villa had an incredible transfer window. I mean, look at it. They brought in Felipe Coutinho, the Brazilian magician of the, of the Premier League, was incredible at Liverpool, and then he just really couldn't find his way at Barcelona. He did well for Bayern when he was out there, but, yeah, it, he's already shown his talent uh, at Aston Villa. Ironically, I called that he was going to put the nail in the uh, nail in the coffin for that United game and he did and it just hurt that he did it I'm like really really I called that wow it, it felt very predictable but uh Coutinho also has an option to buy for him at 40 million and I feel like he could be the spark that this team's midfield needed after losing Jack Grealish uh Lucas Dinier is someone who's been incredible in the Premier League for the most part he wasn't good at all this season from what I've uh heard 
but he had a very solid start here to his time at Aston Villa, and I expect him to continue that. Um, so a great piece added to the defense. Robin Olsen comes in on loan, really talented keeper coming in, uh, the starter for Sweden, I believe he still is, um, coming in from Roma to be some backup for Emiliano Martinez, love to see it. And then the last player that they brought in um, was Callum Chambers from Arsenal. Uh, they lost, uh, it doesn't list it here as an out, but they lost Axel Twanzebe because Manchester United decided to loan him to Napoli because uh, I don't think he was getting quite the minutes they were expecting, I think. And then also on top of that, Napoli is a bigger side. Um, so I, I guess maybe those are some of the things that swayed him. I don't quite know, to be honest. But Chambers is a little versatile do-it-all man. We talked about him about a week ago. It's a very solid transfer for this side, and he'll be a very dependable piece coming off the bench probably consistently. Um, and then they won't, the only other outs that they had were some loaned players, which is Anwar El Ghazi, who they loaned into Everton, who we're going to talk about shortly, and Matt Target, who they uh, also yesterday loaned out to Newcastle, uh, who were in need of left back. Um, but to get and move on to Everton, or actually before we move on to Everton, Aston Villa again. This is a strong selection of players. They're able to upgrade at position uh, at the position of need really in that creative midfield role. Um, and on top of that, we're able to get not only get an upgraded left back, but then get some upgraded depth and Robin Olsen and Callum Chambers. So it's honestly a very solid window for Gerard um, in his first uh, winter window at Aston Villa. And I think it's going to be something that the club can kind of build upon. Uh, I think Coutinho is going to shine at Aston Villa personally. Um, but then moving on now, we have Everton, obviously one of their players that they brought in was Anwar Ghazi, some pretty decent uh, wing depth uh, for, you know, at least the rest of this season. I don't remember how long his loan or Donny van de Beek's loans go, but I believe they've, I would assume that they're both six months if it wasn't listed. I think it's just like till the end of the season for both. And both are going to be very valuable depth pieces to come off the bench. Um, and Donny van de Beek probably more often than Anwar Ghazi, um, just kind of the sparks that this team will need. Um, particularly when they're currently fighting for relegation when they really shouldn't be. Um, but then on top of that, Everton was really able to invest in the positions that they needed to. Uh, and what we're going to start off with is two transfers, the transfers that they had at the beginning of the window. Uh, they're able to replace Luca Digne, who had been struggling a lot this year. Um, so their relationship kind of finally ended with Vitaly Mikolenko from Dynamo Kiev, the young Ukrainian uh, was pretty talented there, and I think uh, he will continue to be a good piece for Everton. And then they got the young Nathan Patterson off of Rangers uh, to be, you know, the future replacement for uh, Seamus Coleman. Uh, another pretty solid transfer there from Everton. So they kind of have like their quote unquote fullbacks for the future. Um, but then on top of that, they also brought in a very talented midfielder in Deli Alley, who could be a, the spark that this team needs in that creative, uh, creative midfield. Um, to be able to dig themselves out of the relegation zone. Um, so overall, it's a very good window for both these sides. I think both sides saw a lot of upgrades with really not many downgrades. Um, I mean, Everton kind of had to get rid of Digne with how he was playing. So I think this is a winning window for both of these sides, and I think you're going to see them jumping up a little bit in the table, as we'll discuss a little bit more here after my last team that I want to discuss, which is going to be 
honestly, I'd be surprised if you guys didn't guess this, uh, if you've been following with the transfer news, is going to be Newcastle. Good Lord, the window that the Newcastle, manage, Newcastle managers had. Um, this window was great for them, not only because of the additions they made, but on top of that, because of the um, really the monetary flex that they're able to show. So let's talk about really their transfers in because the guys that they that went out really don't matter. Really, it was Freddie Woodman and Jeff Hendrick on loan. It's not it's not that big of a deal. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about the players. Kieran Trippier, um, a very good uh, veteran uh, at the right back position, a big upgraded a big upgrade for this side. Um, will be a veteran in the backfield to uh, lead this team. Um, you know, they've been struggling throughout this season. They've conceded a lot of goals, 43 to be exact. Um, and I think that Trippier is not only going to be able to help strengthen the defense, but he's very good with his offensive and passing creativity. And it's going to help for feeding guys like Chris Wood and other strikers that are going to be in the middle uh, so to move on into Chris Wood, he's someone that has been consistently talented in the Premier League for Burnley, um, bringing a lot of goals during his time at Turf Moor. Um, and I think that at uh, coming into Newcastle, he's going to really be bringing in um, what this team's been missing, which is a uh, physically dominant striker uh, to be kind of whacking balls out of the air with his head um, or just to kind of bully people off him and bury a ball into the back of the net. Uh, I think Chris Woods, uh, uh, like, you know, brings that dynamic to the talented forwards of Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximan were missing. And I think that uh, chemistry is going to be very nice for the Magpies. Uh, speaking of one of the best transfers of this window, Bruno Guimaraes from Lyon is just going to add so much to this midfield that they've been desperately needing for years. Um, honestly, such an exciting transfer. There's not much more to say for it. Um, Guardian had some great points on it, as we discussed. And then they were able to bring in Dan Byrne, who will probably start, if not will at least rotate, at uh, the center back position, a very confident veteran um, to join the, you know, kind of rocky defense that they've had. And then Matt Target, again, a relatively confident veteran. I think he's only like 25 or 26, though. Um, was able to take that step up at Aston Villa and was pretty impressive for them. But obviously, they're able to get a really good talent in Digne. So uh, Aston Villa decided to loan out Target to Newcastle. Now, I don't know if there's an option to buy on this, but I hope there is because he was uh, impressive in his, like, what, last year at uh, Southampton. And then he was pretty impressive at Aston Villa. And now to join Newcastle, I think uh, him alongside Byrne and, Lascelles and Kieran Trippier is going to create a pretty confident back line for the rest of the season, um, which is really what this team will need. Um, and I think really that like whole connection between all these players kind of strengthening a little bit of everything for this side is going to be quintessential in their staying up. Um, but on top of that, I talked about the money that they were flexing. And remember the fact that this is a team that was not only after Diego Carlos, but was also after Sven Boltzmann. And uh, Diego Carlos, they weren't able to sign. The deal wasn't able to fully go through, but he accepted the personal terms. Uh, whereas on the other hand, for Sven Boltzmann, um, the Leo wasn't going to move him this window or anything. But I remember that there was actually a tweet from Fabrizio Romano 
talking about Sven Botman wanting to move on from the club in the summer, enlisting Newcastle and AC Milan as teams that were interested in him, um, confirming rumors that were talked about this winter window. So again, not only has Sven Botman publicly stated that he was very interested in a move to Newcastle, but then Diego Carlos, we uh, heard, was interested in a move. So they could have had a huge young center half join in in Botman or just a huge, incredible uh, veteran coming for Diego Carlos. And either way, they would have had a huge upgrade. But still, if they can get either one or both in the summer, that's huge upgrades to that defense. And again, it's just flexing how much money this uh, managerial uh, this this new management's willing to put in here for Newcastle and the influence that this team will have in bringing in sides. So, yeah, I, I mean, this has got to be the best window because Newcastle has probably saved themselves from relegation, but more importantly, have shown that they're going to be a possible destination uh, for some players over the next couple of years and possibly build themselves back into a mid-table side. And with all that being said, that is our transfer talk, where now we are going to go ahead and end this with a little bit of Premier League midseason review uh, and some predictions. So without further ado, let's go ahead and go from the bottom to the top of the Premier League table, and we'll go ahead and compare that with mine. So this is the real table. In 20th, uh, in your relegation zone, 20th to 18th, um, you know, we're just going to keep going up here. You have Burnley, Watford, and Newcastle. Then in 17th uh, to 13th, you have Norwich, Everton, Leeds, Brentford, and Crystal. From 12th to 9th, you have Southampton, Aston Villa, Leicester, and Brighton. And then from 8th to 6th, you have uh, Wolves, Tottenham, and Arsenal. And then from 5th to 1st, you have West Ham United, Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Manchester City with an 11-point lead over Liverpool, but Liverpool does have a game in hand. So with that, to go ahead and uh, go and look at my old table. My old table's not too far off in some places, but you'll, you'll have to see. So um, in my table, I had Watford, Brighton, and Burnley getting relegated. Uh, so I have two of the three, but Brighton is having a way better season than I would have anticipated. So that's a bit of a yikes. Um, and then 15th to 17th, I had Southampton, Newcastle, and Norwich. Now, to be fair, Newcastle is in 18th. I put them in 16th. Uh, but Norwich is at 17th, which is where I put the uh, Canaries. So currently that's going well for me. Um, 11 to 14, West Ham was in there, and I did miss on West Ham. Brentford was in my 11 to 14, but I put them at 12. They're currently 14, pretty solid. I put Crystal Palace at 13. They are 13. And I put Wolves at 14, and they are also doing better, so I did miss there. Huge miss on Everton, who are inside my top 10. Uh, huge miss on Leeds as well. And then Arsenal, um, I had an eighth. They're currently just two spots ahead. Uh, I had Aston Villa in seventh, which they're starting to come back, but I don't know if they're really going to hit the seventh spot this year. Uh, I had Leicester in sixth. They're currently in tenth, just a spot ahead of Aston Villa, ironically. Um and then Tottenham in fifth, they're currently in seventh, but, you know, uh, under new management in Conte, um, I, and, you know, the window that they had, I expect them to start making a push to get higher. They're currently tied with Arsenal on 36 and one point behind West Ham, two behind United. Um, and then in the top four, I actually have the exact top four that it is right now, but slightly changed. 
So I have all four teams that are in the top four in it. So that's a little bit of a pat on the back for me. Um, but I had it Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, and Liverpool from first to fourth. Whereas in, you know, currently it's Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United. So a little bit of a shuffle, but hey, I currently have first and third technically predicted correctly. So very interesting and pretty solid thus far. You know, I was able to actually currently land teams exactly where I predicted them. So cool. But with that out of the way, I do want to talk about what I think might happen. And I've actually been a little bit bold here. But without further ado, I'm going to give you guys my midseason prediction slash expectation for what the table is going to look like here at the end of the season. Now, just realize that like when it comes to some of these mid-table teams, like from 16th to 14th, and then from like 13th to 10th or something like that, like it's kind of like a uh, uh, just kind of a gimme like, or not it's not a gimme. let me rephrase this it's more like a you know just throwing darts on a dartboard um because the middle of the table can kind of become anything um but i'm really like i feel confident with like my top top seven at least maybe top eight and then i'm pretty confident with my relegation uh zone and just around that area as well so without further ado let's go ahead and get it started uh, with the relegation zone, I do not have Burnley moving at all. I have them maintaining 20th. I have Norwich getting knocked down to 19th, and I have Watford coming up one spot, just not being able to stay in the 18th, which means that the only surviving team from the recently promoted three is going to be Brentford. Um, and we'll talk about Brentford pretty shortly. But yeah, I don't think Watford and Burnley are going to be able to save themselves. Uh, Watford uh, didn't really do anything this transfer window. And then Burnley again, like they, they, they replaced one big striker with another big striker, essentially. And it's just not going to be enough for now. Maybe Burnley can get back after a season in the championship. Same thing for their, uh, Watford Norwich. But right now, I, I, I just don't think they've done enough. Uh, then we're going to go here from 17th to 14th, where we have Newcastle in 17th uh, being able to eke out um, uh, their, their stay here in the Premier League. And 16th, I have Brentford. In 15th, I have Leeds, and in 14th, I have Everton. So Everton moving up a little bit. Um, I think that uh, at least a couple of these teams, particularly Newcastle and Everton, have done enough to start moving themselves up the table a little bit. Uh, Leeds didn't do anything. I possibly considered dropping them. And then I dropped some other teams, like uh, Brentford, I think, dropped. Yeah, uh, when I look at the table, Brentford's in 14th. So they dropped a couple spots. But, you know, it's, it's nothing, like, egregious for some of these teams. Like, I just think that some teams are going to do a little bit better. That's kind of how it is. Um, from 13th to, uh, to 10th here, we'll go ahead and go 13th to 10. Uh, we have Brighton. Yeah, I have Brighton falling down the table. They've kind of been getting a lot of draws. Their uh, offense is still kind of lackluster. They've only scored 23 goals, which is uh, definitely more than Newcastle, who have conceded somewhere close to the most and have scored the by far least, but somehow still aren't in the relegation zone. But 23 goals scored in the Prem is one of the lowest. Um, it's just like a little bit better than Wolves, and it's a little bit better than Burnley and Newcastle and whatnot. Uh, is one behind Everton and Leeds. So I think that they're kind of not having a dominant offense will catch up to them eventually, or just how many draws the side gets. I mean, they, of their 22 games, 12 of their games have been draws. So eventually the point deficit is going to catch up, and some of these sides who – 
um, have been able to put goals into the back of the net are going to be able to hop them. Um, but then on top of that, in 12th with Southampton, they've been doing pretty well this year um, to become back. And I think they'll kind of maintain their spot here. Uh, they're currently 12th. I don't have them moving at all. And then in 11th, the Crystal Palace, I have them moving up a bit. I think they're a pretty solid side. I could see them dropping a little. And then maybe you like, you know, I could see them kind of fluctuating. Uh, I've been a little bit more of like Crystal Palace is a little bit more of a dart throw for me uh, of these mid table teams. Cause I could see them going like to 11th and I could see them falling down as low as 16th. I really could. Um, but I have them on the higher side. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic of this palace team. Uh, Vieira has been doing a solid job. And I think that they're going to finish the season with a respectable 11th. Uh, and then 10th with Aston Villa. Again, they are able to move up one spot here in the table, but I think the teams ahead of them are just, most of them are a little bit better. And I think that Gerard, um, with his first almost full season, I think this is a respectable finish for him as Astonville, I think, will be willing to commit more money into this uh, team with, with Gerard's performance uh, coming in midseason. And I think that they could do even better next year. I still have high hopes for this Astonville side. They've actually done really good business over the past few years. So with that, we are going to go ahead and talk about seven through nine. I want to save uh, four, five, and six, and one, two, and three for their own spots. We're going to go by groups of three now. So nine to seven here at ninth, I have Arsenal. At eighth, I have Leicester. And at seventh, I have Wolves. So let's talk about that. Uh, the reason I have Arsenal as low as I do is because not only have they've been struggling a lot more recently after an incredible start to the Premier League. Um, but really, I think the most important factor to me is the fact that they really didn't do anything in the transfer window. I mean, literally, if you like, if you remember what we talked about, they brought in a backup keeper, Matt Turner, and they brought in a center back, a little bit of center back depth and, uh, Austin, forgetting his name again, uh, Austin, uh, Austin trusty. So they didn't really do anything. And instead of actually doing anything, they really had one of the more like worse windows because it was really more getting rid of players. Pierre Emerick Aubameyang left the club. Ainsley Maitland Niles went out on loan to Roma. Uh, Balagoon went on loan to Middlesbrough. And to be fair, he really wasn't going to get minutes there anyways, but still. Uh, Sayed Kalajanak left for Marseille. Pablo Mari left for Udinese. Callum Chambers left for Aston Villa. So they lost their center back depth. They lost their, uh, what was their the top score over the past few seasons um, where they've been struggling with getting goals this year uh, a little bit at times, particularly since like the start of the season. Um, and I just think that with really not being able to do anything this window to like make your team just that little bit better, I think that this team's going to fall. Um, quite frankly, I just don't think that they're going to be able to have what it takes to be able to beat some of these sides. And particularly when they're going to be coming up against some pretty offensively heavy sides, they aren't going to really have a response. I don't think Lacazette's going to catch fire. Um, I don't think that Martinelli and Saka and Udegaard and uh, Smith Rowe can be consistent enough with putting in their goals to be able to get them ahead. Um, and if one of their defenders gets injured, it could basically be GG's for Arsenal. Uh, you know, like if Ben White gets injured, what are they going to do? Throw an uh, Austin trustee? No, no. Like, 
that's this like my point. You know what I mean? What is this team gonna do if injuries start coming to their back line? That's my biggest concern here for Arsenal, and that's why I think that this team's gonna fall. They don't have any depth right now, and they need to have a like huge overhaul of this team over the next window, which is also gonna be really bad for Arteta. But it's gonna have to happen. That's why I have Arsenal being as low as they are. I just I'm, I'm concerned with the depth issues. Um, eighth being Leicester, I think getting into the third tier European league being eighth. I don't quite remember, but I digress. Um, Leicester has been starting to bag more goals frequently. They're a pretty good side for scoring uh, under Rodgers, and I think that's going to continue to come. On top of that, I think that they had some injuries that they had to deal with at the beginning of the year, um, and I think that those players might be coming back now. Uh, topping all of that off, they've kind of had a mid-form recently, two wins, two losses, and a draw, but I think they'll do better. Leicester's a solid side. They also have a couple games in hand, so if they were to win both those games, that would put them on 32 points, which would put them ahead of Brighton, two behind Wolves, which would then be a game ahead of them, and then a little bit behind Tottenham and Arsenal, so they aren't too far out of it yet anyways, and I think that they'll be able to eke their way in. Um, in seventh, I have Wolves, and the reason I have Wolves here is because I think they're going to find a little bit more goal-scoring capability soon. Um, I mean, granted, they aren't, they're only moving up one spot with my saying they're in seventh. Um, but on top of that, they've been a very consistent side. Like, they haven't scored a crazy amount of goals. Like, they've scored less than Brighton, but they also haven't conceded many goals. And they've been in incredible form winning four of their last five games. Their only uh, non-win was a draw. Um, now that's not saying that they're going to fully keep that up because granted they have some great sides like City and Liverpool and Chelsea and Tottenham and Arsenal still to play, but I do think that they are a solid and well-built enough team that they can eke out draws against some of them, possibly even win against some of them if they're having an off day, and that's going to be able to get them into that seventh spot. Now let's talk about four through six, and this is actually going to probably be a little bit controversial here. At sixth, I have Chelsea. Fifth, I have Tottenham, and fourth, I have West Ham. Here's why. Chelsea has not been great this year, and a lot of it's because Lukaku, the Lukaku move didn't really turn out. Um, but on top of that, you have some of these teams who are already behind them, including Tottenham, uh, with games behind. Uh, honestly, I'm actually even going to change this year. Like, you, you, have, you have some teams that are, like, some games behind and everything, so, like, and it, I, I don't know. Basically, what I'm trying to get at is Lukaku doesn't want to be there. You guys basically don't have a striker again and spent $90 million on still not getting a striker uh, over this past summer. And I think that things are going to start falling apart for Chelsea. That's essentially what I think is going to happen, uh, particularly when you guys have the Champions League to play as well. It's going to stretch your depth pretty thin. And overall, I think Chelsea will struggle. But I don't know. You know what? I'm going to stick to my guns. and I'm going to leave them in sixth. But I could see them finishing fifth, I guess, because they are pretty high in the lead on points. But I guess if Tottenham were to win four in a row, that would give them a one-point lead over Chelsea. Uh, if United won their next two, they'd be three points behind Chelsea, I think. So, yeah, I think that I, I again I just don't think Chelsea has a dominant grasp on that third spot as people think they do 
they might end up fifth, but I'm going to leave them sixth for now because I'm more of a fan of this Tottenham side that I have currently in fifth. Conte's done an incredible job with the team. I love the transfer window they had. I think Benteker is really going to be a shining piece in this midfield. Uh, it might be a guy that I recommend for FPL pickup. Um, really, really solid team. And I think they're going to finish the season well, but not well enough to knock off West Ham, uh, which will finish as the best team in London getting fourth. And yeah, I love me the Hammers. I am forever blowing bubbles, uh, but just not when they're up against United. Uh, they're an incredible team, uh, a lot of spunk, uh, really good midfield, really good defense, really good offense. They're just so well-rounded. And uh, with the Europa League, sure, it might stretch them a little bit thin. I think I could see that as a valid argument, um, but I just don't think that matters for this side because I think they have a lot of really talented depth. So I think what this team has been built very, very well by David Moyes um, in the uh, upper management. And I think that they're going to be able to maintain their spot and end up in fourth. And for my top three, this honestly shouldn't be too much of a surprise. I'm going to have Manchester United, Liverpool, and Manchester City. Um, not really changing where these teams are much. I only had United go up one spot. Um, it might be a little bit of bias for me to keep Manchester United in here. I could see Tottenham or Chelsea replacing them. I think United's the team them the least confident in in top four, to be fair. Um, but I just kind of feel like United is going to be able to find that little bit of something, particularly with Ronaldo and with Ferran coming back um, and finding a little bit more of defensive form recently. I think that United could possibly be able to pull out some points. Uh, Liverpool in second, the Luis Diaz transfer is going to be nice off the bench for them. And I think they're going to be able to pull close to City, but not enough to be able to top off uh, uh, to get ahead of Pep Guardiola's side, which I believe this would be his third Premier League trophy he's won. Maybe his fourth. I think this is only his third. I think this is third. Maybe his fourth. I, I don't remember. <laughs> he's won a lot in the Premier League, basically. He's an incredible manager. But, yeah, I, I don't think City is going to be able to lose this lead. I mean, look at it. They're only one game ahead of Liverpool, who is the closest team to them right now, and they have a nine-point gap. Like, City would have to have a huge meltdown to lose this league to Liverpool or to anybody else. So I think that City is going to be able to hold on um, for Pep and then are just going to be able to continue to dominate because – Pep just builds incredible teams. And the crazy thing is, is when Pep came to the Prem, I didn't expect him to be able to dominate like the Bundesliga, but here we are. Pep Guardiola winning yet another Premier League. Um, not that other teams haven't been great, to be fair, and not that it's like, you know, they can't be knocked off. That is unlike the Bayern team that he was able to build. This team can get knocked off every now and then. But, hey, you know, all power to Pep. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, um, not as long as of, of an episode as I thought. I think we're only like going a little bit over an hour here. But that is the end of the transfer deadline day and a little bit of a football overall special episode here from yours truly, Colby and Bergstrom. So thank you all very much. So, so thank you all so very much for listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. Uh, do not fret. There is going to be a college basketball episode here coming out this week. Um, and we are also going to be releasing uh, like a mini episode, possibly a couple of mini episodes, uh, not only uh, this week, but from here on out. 
particularly because there's some mini, a little bit of news to cover in the NFL that we did not cover on the original podcast. And we can't wait a week to be able to cover it. It's huge news. You guys have probably seen it, but cannot wait to talk about it. Again, thank you all so much for listening. Um, I hope you all have an excellent rest of your day or an excellent evening, whatever time you are recording this or <laughs> recording, listening to this. And I hope you guys are able to enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you very much.